So, I hope everybody's enjoying Hanukkah. The parasha is Vikates. And I promised that we would talk about Hanukkah at least part of the time. Uh, for those of you who don't remember the parasha from last, last year, it's not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. Let's start from uh, this Pasuk, Perak Mem Gimel, Pasuk Kavtes. You see at the top of the sheet, Karagman Gil, Pasuk Mentech. An interesting thing. Kavtet. <coughs> right at the top of the page. So there's this story. I mean, we all know the story. The brothers, Yosef's brothers, they come to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. And slowly, the story unfolds before them. It goes in stages, right? They learn little by little about what they've participated in in the past and what is going on, right? What is going on? That's, that's, what, uh, that's what it says. Now, a curious thing happens <coughs> when Yosef meets up with the brothers when they come back to Mitzrayim. It says in Pasuk Kavav, which you don't have in your sheet here, the brothers came back to Mitzrayim and they were taken to the house of one of Yosef's fancy houses, or his house, and they thought that they had been discovered that they had taken the money. Remember when they left, they discovered that Yosef had returned the money to them, that they brought in order to pay for what they had bought. So they were a little nervous. They were a little nervous. Yosef the I'm reading Pasuk Kavvav, right? 26. And so they brought him presents to Yosef. They brought Yosef presents. They baptized him. I mean, clearly, they had a sense of who is in charge. Who is the serious person here. And Yosef asks after their, uh, how they are doing. So Yosef then, he hasn't revealed himself yet, but he says, how's your father? He says to the brothers. Is he still alive? And they answered him. And they said, yes, our father is still alive and everything is fine. I mean, remember, there's a kind of background tension here. That the brothers know that they've been discovered and they're going to be punished or they think they're going to be punished. And Yosef is looking at the brothers and first he asks about Yaakov. And he says, which is an important, it's important. Why it's important, we will try to figure out. And then, the passage that's on the sheet. Right, Vayayad Binyamin. 
Binyamin is the youngest brother. And he wasn't there before. But they brought him back. And you remember there was a discussion with Yaakov, Binyamin, who's going to protect him. This was a very serious matter. Yosef says, Vayar Binyamin Achiv Ben Imo. In case you have forgotten, the Torah tells us that Binyamin was Yosef's brother, Ben Imo. Right? They both had the same mother. Is this your young... I mean, sort of like, as far as they're concerned, the brothers, is the first time they ever saw him. I mean, it's like a, like a little event. This is him? This is the brother? So he says, this is the little brother that you spoke to me about and that I asked you to bring with you the next time you came to Mitzrayim. Listen. And Yosef says, Elohim Yochnecha Bini. God will give you Chayim. Right? Chayim, that's the, the root of the word. God gives a bracha. Gives a bracha. I, I guess he was talking uh, in Egypt, Egyptian, but the translation of what he said in Egyptian is in the Torah, and that's the only thing that really matters to us. Elokim yichoncho bini. Now, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, what sort of sense can you make of the fact that Yosef, who was not Yosef, but he was some kind of Egyptian potentate, that Yosef sees Binyamin for the first time in his life, and has just been identified as the younger brother, as far as the brothers are concerned, I mean, they've never seen each other. And Yosef looks at him and he says, Elohim Yechoncha Bini. Now this is doubly problematic, because we don't really, I mean, it's hard to say that we had a clue about what the bracha was. Elohim yechancha b'ni. God will give something to you. God will give something to you. Chayim. Well, what does this have to do with the brothers going down to Egypt, the confrontation with Yosef? Well, how does it fit into anything? So you look at Rashi. Rashi's on the sheet. Rashi is going to help us. <coughs> so Rashi says that there's a posseg in the Torah, Perik Lama Gimel Posseg where Yaakov says about his own children. When he talks to Esau, Yaakov says about his own children, Asher Chonan Elohim et Avdecho. Asher Chonan Elohim et Avdecho. Binyom in Adayim lo nolat. Lachem Bercho Yosef Bechanina. Now this is clearly, I mean, sometimes Rashi is helpful, and sometimes Rashi just uh, confuses me. What? I say you too. No, me first? <laughs> what is Rashi trying to say? What is Rashi trying to say? Here's Yosef. 
mean, Yosef is also Yosef. Yosef is the king of Egypt, but he's also Yosef. As far as we know that he's Yosef. So we look at him and what he does in the sense that it's Yosef doing it, talking, right? That's how we look at it. So now I ask you. Here's Yosef. He meets up with Binyamin in Egypt. Binyamin doesn't know that it's Yosef. Binyamin thinks it's some Egyptian. Yosef didn't really know it was Binyamin, so he asked. He said, is this him? Is this the youngest brother? And you remember that Yosef insisted that they bring their younger brother back with them the next time they come? And we wonder, why did he do that? I mean, okay, it's true that it was his brother. Maybe he wanted to see him. But here is a different story. Here's this thing, it's like Yosef is sitting home in his palatial gardens. And he's saying, if you on list, like what is it that I have to do? What do I have to do? I says, you know, Dad, when he said this bracha, right, the bracha of Chay, who did he say it about? Who did he say it about? The brothers, excluding Benjamin, right? The brothers excluding Benjamin. So Yosef says, again, sitting in Egypt in his castle with his little scratch pad, and he's writing down, they didn't have computers, right? He's writing down what he has to do. He says, I better get Benjamin and give him a bracha of chayn, which Yaakov forgot about. Or Yaakov left that. This is what Yosef is doing. This is what Yosef is doing. <coughs> now look at the parts of that that Rashi quotes. Periglamet Gimel. Periglamet Gimel, Pasukeg. Vaisartei Navayar et Anashim Vahayeladim. Right, we're talking about Esau. Esau meeting with Yaakov. Vayomemiyeh who are these yours? Who are these, all these women and children? I mean, who are they? Vayomer, hayeladim asher chanan elokim et avdecha. Hayeladim asher chanan elokim et avdecha. So in other words, these children have the quality of chet nun nun. That's what they are. They are chanan yeladim. Hanan Hashem et Avdecha. What the word Hanan is, we have to think about. Et Avdecha. Vatigashna Shvachot Eina Vialdehen Vatishtachavena. Vatigash Gamleya Vialdehavishtachavlo. Vatigash Yosef Rachel Vishtachavlo. You see Yosef Rachel? Zemashiyesh. Yosef, the son of Rachel. Who's missing? Binyamin. So Binyamin didn't get the bracha. I mean, of course, this is a statement by Yaakov, but inadvertently it represents a bracha. Asher Hanan Elokim et Avdecha. So Yosef, already in Egypt, sees himself as on a par with Yaakov. Right? In other words, if this bracha is a bracha that the father is supposed to give his children, and if that's the reason that Yaakov gave all of his children this bracha, then one would think 
that what Yosef should have done was write a note to Yaakov and say, you better give a bracha to Binyamin also. But in fact, Yosef created this convoluted uh, process in order to give a bracha to Binyamin. The bracha of Chetnun Nun to Binyamin. And that bracha, that bracha is given in loco parentis, right? Yosef is his brother. Usually it's the father, at least the way we've learned it in the Chumash, Avrov to Yitzchak, Yitzchak to Yaakov, Yaakov to his children. How did Yosef get into this? But we know. We know. If you look at the next source, Breshit Perak Memchet Pasuk Yudalit, we remember the story in Vayechiva, Yishlat Yisrael, Kiminovi, Yashet HaRosh Ephraim, Vuatzahir, so that, and what did, what did Yaakov say to the children? What did Yaakov say about those children? That Ephraim and Menashe are like his children. Is that what Yaakov said? So if Ephraim and Menashe are the children of Yaakov, so what's Yosef? Yosef is the father of Ephraim Menashe. So what's Yosef? So Yosef, I guess, is the brother of Yaakov. I mean, everybody has to get upgraded. Like, if Yosef is the son of Yaakov, and Ephraim Menashe are the sons of Yosef, and they get upgraded a generation, right? Ephraim Menashe become the sons of, oh, you thought it was just metaphorical. But forget it. I mean, let's say it's not metaphorical. Let's say it's for real. Then Ephraim Menashe become the sons of... Yaakov. As the result of becoming the sons of Yaakov, they become Shvatim. Just like Reuven and Shimon and Levi and Yehuda, whatever that means, right? Halakha, halakhically, it's difficult to understand what it means, but they become like Reuven and Shimon and Levi and Yehuda. Ephraim and Asher. So if Ephraim and Asher become the children of Yaakov, so what happens to Yosef? So he becomes like Yaakov. Let's say he's Yaakov's brother. Esau is not Yaakov's brother, but Yosef is Yaakov's brother. So if Yosef is Yaakov's brother, then the fact that Yosef gives a brocha to Binyamin makes sense, because he's his father. I mean, in terms of brachas. Right? He's like the father. That's what it says. So this is, uh, this is kind of information that I'm giving you, right, about a difficult posuk. And we still don't understand what the bracha is, what the content of the bracha is. In order to understand that a bit, I remind you that in Bamidbar, we learned the Birkat Kohanim, which here in Eretz Yisrael we know very well because you hear Birkat Kohanim every single day, minimally. Some days more than once. But if, uh, if you go to shul during the weekday, or on Shabbat, or on Rosh Chodesh, or on Rosh you always hear Birkat Kohanim. Yo'er Hashem panav elecha v'ichulecha. Wow! It's not only Yaakov to his children, it's not only Yosef to Binyamin, but it's day in and day out, wherever we go, wherever we are, at least in Eretz Yisrael, we hear this bracha bestowed upon us, those of us who are not Kohanim, Ya'er Hashem Panav Eilecha 
Vichuneka. Vichuneka. That's the bracha of the Kohanim. Rashi. Rashi. Vichuneka. You see that? You see what Rashi says? Itain lecha chen. That's kind of called circular reasoning. You know, what is chen? It's chen. What's vichuneka? God will give you chen. But what I want to know is, what's chen? What is it? I remind you also, it's not on the sheet, but I don't think it has to be. It's not on the sheet. Noah? What about Noah? What about Noah? What? Spell backwards his name. No, it says in the Noah, Mozart, Chayim. Facts spelled backwards? Okay, that's interesting. But says, it says clearly that Noah, Mozart, Chayim, even though he didn't receive the bracha of Chayim, he was Mozart, Chayim. He was Mozart, Chayim. So this is what, this is what I wanted to tell you. That there's a problem of Chayim. Yosef singles out Binyamin for this bracha. Rashi says, of course, he got, has to get the bracha because he's missing the bracha. Yaakov didn't give it to him because he wasn't around yet. As yet, Yosef is in loco parentis of Binyamin and gives him the bracha of Chayim. The Kohanim give us the bracha of Chayim every day, at least once a day. There's like a halacha that the Kohanim can't add anything to the brachas, they can't add words, they can't add ideas, so that the bracha of Chayim is firmly rooted both in the Chumash, which tells us the Nusach of Birkat Kohanim, and the halacha which demands that Birkat Kohanim be bestowed upon Klal Yisrael every day. Okay, <laughs> since it's Hanukkah, I want to give you a present. Okay. You know, a present, like you know, you give children dreidels. Today, of course, you have to give them stock portfolios, <laughs> I suppose. But the old days, you could give children dreidels, or things like that. So I want to give you a present. Gelt. What? Gelt. Oh. <laughs> corrupting, it's corrupting. That's why I said a stock stock portfolio. That's also good. Hopefully. <laughs> In any event, the present that I want to give you is this Torah of Rav Nachman of Bratsa. Now, this is the first Torah in the first section of the Lukutim Mara. And the topic is basically Chaim. That's the topic. Now, I don't think they will be able to learn through the whole thing. So that's what I mean, it's a present. Take it, and take it home, and try to learn it. Whatever we left out, try to learn. But I'm going to try to learn enough of the Torah to make a point. Right? So the Torah starts off, the first paragraph, which goes up to line 8. See the first paragraph? This is how Rav Nachman does it. He sort of tells you what he's going to say. And later on he proves it. Or proves it according to the system that he finds amenable. Okay? So in the first paragraph, he's going to say things. But he's not going to prove them. He will prove them as he continues to talk. Now, of course, the word prove, I don't mean prove like in mathematics or in experimental physics. Not that kind of proof. 
for the kind of proof that makes sense to Rav Nachman. Right? Uh, you know, whenever you prove something, you have to you have some information which you believe is correct, and based on that correct inf- information, you create inferences. And that's what Rav Nachman did. But first, he's going to tell us what it is that he wants to say. Right? And in this first paragraph, which is deceptively simple, the reason for its simplicity is that he doesn't prove anything. He just says it. Right? So let's us go through that first paragraph. <coughs> the Torah is the catalyst which enables prayer to be accepted. Where is prayer accepted? Of course, in heaven. Right? So, so the, the, Rav Nachman says, Rav Nachman's idea is this, that the derech ha so to speak, today, we would be unable to daven. If I had to reinterpret what Rav Nachman is saying, I would say this. I'd say, you know that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu kind of ordained the situation in Eretz Yisrael, it included the Beit HaMikdash. And if you think about the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash is a place where Tfilot are accepted. And the proof that the Tfilot are accepted is a series of miracles that are germane to the Avoda in the Beit HaMikdash. So you know that the fire never went out, that the Korbanot were given in a very kind of special way, with special feeling. You know, the, the, the Beit HaMikdash, from the point of view of Tfilah, was a magical place. So that the Tfilah, the Tfilah that God envisioned, or that the Torah envisioned, is a Tfilah that's enhanced by Mikdash. Somehow together, that makes it work. The Tfilah works. It's not so much that every person has this tremendous capacity to stand before God and make a demand. It's not that. But God allows the demand to be made within the context of Avodah. And Avodah is magic. So the Rambam, as Rabbi Nachman says this, after the Chorban Beit HaMikdash, we had to discover a substitute. So you know, sociologists, uh, economists, uh, social, social scientists of one kind or another, they would ask the question this way. How did the Jewish people keep themselves together after the Chorban Beit HaMikdash? So they might say, okay, they learned Torah. They learned Torah. Rav Nachman doesn't ask that question. Rav Nachman says, after the Chorban Beit HaMikdash, how did anybody doubt it? I mean, after all, for Rav Nachman, davening is the most crucial element in Jewish existence. Because davening is about standing before HaKadosh Baruch And that's who we are. We're people who want to get to the point where we can stand before HaKadosh Baruch So what do we do? We do mitzvot, we learn Torah, we do all kinds of things that help us approach that level. But when there was a Beit HaMikdash, that was the ultimate aid. You sort of went to the Beit HaMikdash and you were almost guaranteed that the result would be the capacity to doubt. After the Chorban Beit HaMikdash, Rav Nachman says, 
It's the Torah. It's the Torah. Now this is like almost a mitznagate talking. Like almost Rav Chaim Voloshev is saying that the experience of standing before God is learning Torah. That somehow when you learn Torah, you get that feeling, you get that impetus, you get that push. So when you go to Davin, you feel the Davin. So this is what Rav Nachman says. So right now I would say, if I'm reading Rav Nachman, what does Chayn mean? That special quality, right? Something Chayn is special. How it's special we will see. Shall Yisrael So everybody understands that because B'nai Yisrael learned the Torah, and because that gives them one up in terms of davening, so everybody in the world knows that they are special. They're special in the way they act spiritually and physically. He says, even though today you look around and you see He's talking about, you know, the 18th century in, uh, in the Ukraine where it didn't seem like everybody was looking up to the Jews and saying, oh look how wonderful they are, how great they are. So he says, look it's quite clear that chen v'chashivut nafa. We don't have it. Ki chashivut They seem, they, the non-Jews, the other, the other communities have taken it over. Right, it's the, it's the, uh, you know, a yala and a ya'ala, right, these kinds of, uh, uh, these animals, you know, who run around on the mountaintops, and they are chen. Shema'ala chen alom Chen is the quality that the learners of Torah have. And this is how you do it. So if you can say, like, sociologically, Israel have not been talking to an unhappy audience. We daven, but nothing seems to happen. It doesn't work out right. We're an impoverished community. Uh, the non-Jews are always beating up on us and and no one wants to let us be in peace and to rest, right? Like Yaakov Avinu wasn't able to be in peace. So what does Rav Nachman say to them? Rav Nachman says, we have it. But we have to exercise it. We have it, we have the chen. But in order to get the chen to be properly, to motivate us properly in tefillah, we have to learn Torah. The Torah brings us the chen. So here we have it. Rav Nachman Abratzlev is trying to tell us what the word chen means. And according to Rav Nachman Abratzlev, chen is the capacity to dab, or the capacity to turn to HaKadosh Baruch or the capacity the capacity to stand before HaKadosh Baruch in a confident manner. That's what chen, that's what chen means.
Okay. Then, I have to skip. The left-hand column, line 55. So he said, he explained, this Torah and this Chen. Right, he explained that in this paragraph that I'm skipping. He explained how Torah and Chen have something to do with each other, and that by learning Torah you get the Chen, and by getting the Chen you're able to daven. That's what, that's what Rav Nachman said. Once you have that, once you have that, there's no two ways about it. In heaven, they're perfectly, HaKadosh Baruch is perfectly willing to accept Matzfilot and to be responsive to them as long as they come from a position of Torah and Chayim. Ki kama she'ein likablim makashot u'mafman she'ein latzvarim chayim. This is because if you daven, and the davening and your prayers are not answered, it's because there's no Chayim. You don't have it. Therefore, they don't go into the heart of the one from whom the, the, to whom the prayer is directed. That like God does not does not relate to them. It's as though was not able to open his heart, so to speak, wide enough to accept your prayers. Mahmat. Because the person who is supplicating God doesn't have this quality. So you don't have chen. Then tefillah, after all, tefillah, to be effective, has to be special. That's what Rav Nachman said. It's not enough to get up in the morning to go to shul, and that's very nice. But that does not produce the kind of tefillah that has to be answered. And then he says, Aval al yidei ha-Torah, Sh'al yidei zenit chabrim v'nit kashrim ha-nun v'ha-chet kanal. Kanal means, which I explained in the paragraph that we skipped. That somehow chet is like a world, and nun is another world. And when you put these two words together, the only thing that puts them together is, is Torah. That puts them together. Remember the first paragraph? So he said, that's why the Torah is called Yalat Chen. Torah is Chen. Torah produces Chen. People who learn the Torah get the Chen. Vazai Zochet. Rav Nachman is absolutely certain of this. Rav Nachman is not about existential prayer, nor is he about standing before the Rebbeinu Shalom kind of prayer, nor is he about looking at the words and making tricky explanations type of prayer. He is elemental. Bonai, the Yushavni says... Bonai chayi b'zoni. That's prayer. You pray for children, you pray for life, and you pray for sustenance. And when you pray for those things, either you're answered or you're not. And the system, Rav Nachman says, is that if you pray properly, not if you really want those things, not if you really feel, gee, I'd like to make a, a little more money, or I'd like to live longer, that I might. It's not that. It's rather that if the prayer 
is properly constituted, if you worked on it, if you got to the level of chain, it'll definitely be answered. There are no two ways about it. This is Rav Nachman's position about prayer. It's not modern, it's not intellectual, it's not standoffish, like, you know, um, I just do it because I do it, because if I do it, then it's done, and, you know, I do it. You know, those kind of, those kind of talks. Rav Nachman, very simple. Prayer is about getting a result. That's what prayer is about. If you don't get the result, your prayer is no good because prayer is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. The right side of it. It doesn't make any difference. It's a mitzvah. So a mitzvah, but God's going to tell you to do something and then not have it work? Doesn't make any sense. According to Rav Nachman, right? I'm not talking about the, about the different styles and the different reasons and different things you could say about prayer. I'm talking about Rav Nachman. For Rav Nachman, prayer had to work. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. Why should people pray? Why should people pray? I mean, all kinds of nice things you could do in the world that ought to develop uh, feelings for the community, feelings for the individual, for standing before, uh, like, like the ineffable uh, notion of God. You could do all kinds of things. But if the Torah says daven, or if you see all the examples in Tanakh of people davening, it's not because it didn't work. It's because it does work. Because it's going to happen. And that prayer exists for us as well today. So now, I'm on line 61 in the left-hand column. That when you speak the Rechein, they go right up to the Kisei HaKabah, right to the Rebani Shlana. The Hainu Zeh, Shemidachshimi Menem, this I don't want to go into this either with the Taf, but then I say, uh, it says, Nimtza, line 68. Nimtza. Shabchina tachain chakat makom belev zeshim akshim yemen. That the chain, the tefillah of chain is so strong that it produces an etching in the heart of the one from whom the request is made. That means it comes right back. In other words, like, like prayer creates a reality in heaven. It, it determines how in heaven they look upon us. What we're doing. That's, what, that's how powerful, how powerful prayer is. And he says, That's the letter Taf. What's <laughs> What's the Rechachamim? Torah, very good. The Rechachamim is Torah. What else? What did I get talk about? What did I get talk about? I talk about the stock market. I talk about the Rechachamim. Torah. Benachat Nishmaim. What's Nachat? Nun and Chet and Taf. What's Nun and Chet? Schem. What's Taf? Is the Chakika. It's the inscription. It's the encryption. It's the it's the uh, uh, of the of the tefillah in heaven. Right? Nachat. 
Je hebt geen gednoen en je hebt een kwaad. Waar je deze naaseh op de jood nacha. Was niet maar in de waarabin kabel bakashatok hadna. So here, what the Rav Nachman said, we're doing it, we're doing it pekitsur. We're, we're giving a short form. But Rav Nachman is trying to explain to us that even today, after the Beit HaMikdash has been destroyed, and after the seeming advantages that we had in those days, where there was prophecy, and there was Beit HaMikdash, and there were Korbanot, and there were miracles, even today, we can achieve the level of prayer that was apparently commonly achieved in those days. And what does prayer mean for Rav Nachman of Braslav? Prayer means something that is answered. Not something that is offered up, but something that affects the way in heaven they look upon us. If we dive properly, if we have the chen, and we have the tough, we can produce a reaction in heaven which is special and which is responsive to the needs that we happen to have. So this is Rav Nachman Abratzah. So Rav Nachman Abratzah thought about prayer in a certain way and I added something that is not in the Torah at all that this is important for us to understand this is the world after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. The Beit HaMikdash was not simply something destroyed, something in the middle of Am Eretz Yisrael that no longer exists. But Beit HaMikdash was an opportunity for the religious personality to express himself or herself. Right? Beit HaMikdash was a place you went to in order to get Tarat, in order to purify yourself, in order to be able, you able, were able, actually, you knew that if you went to the Beit HaMikdash and you did certain things, you could change the way your, your makeup was. You would change yourself around. Now that was lost. It wasn't just the Beit HaMikdash was lost. It was, we also lost the, the building, the house of the King of Israel. It was also lost. But okay, so the King of Israel could live in a smaller house. The king of Israel can live in a trip. Mayesh. I mean, okay. It's, a, it's not great. It's not what we want. But when we lost the Beit HaMikdash, we lost manifold religious opportunity. And Am Yisrael could not exist unless they recognized the fact that on some level these religious opportunities were replaceable, exchangeable. Allah has a back on the Bratzel that he says, Exchangeable with what? Exchangeable with with chen and tefillah and Torah. Those, that's, the, that's the new world. That's the new world. It may not be as good as the old world, but it's real. It's a real new world. There's really tefillah in the world. And there's really chen in the world. There's really Torah in the world. That's what Rav Nachman Abrazdov says. Now, that we've gone through this sort of like, uh, uh, we've gone through the Torah, more or less, you know, the things that Rav Nachman wanted to say, the people he was talking to. Of course, the Torah is extremely optimistic because it says that you could do it. It doesn't tell you exactly how you're going to do it, but you know the elements. There's Torah, and Torah produces Chaim, and Chaim produces Tefillah, and Tefillah is going to be responded to. 
Now I'm on line 74. You see line 74? Oh, here we are. Yaakov. Shehu b'chinat ha-seichel kanal. Yaakov seichel. Right? You know that according to the Svirot, Avram Avinu is Chesed, Yitzchak Avinu is Gura, and Yaakov Avinu is Torah. Right? Or Tiferet. Tiferet equals Torah. So it means that when you think of Yaakov Avinu somehow, you think of this quality which he calls Seichel. Because Torah, the way we engage Torah, the way we kind of do it, whatever it is that we have to do with Torah, is by using Seichel that we're endowed with. And he says, Alkein, Zachalichein. Yaakov Avinu, he had it. He had it. Remember when Yaakov left Eretz Yisrael? Remember? Remember those angels going up and down? Remember Yaakov Avinu was able to make a deal with heaven? Right? Remember that? He had it. He had it. It was not like a prayer. It was earnest conversation. It was a it was a negotiation. Yaakov Avinu was there. Why? Because Yaakov had Torah and he had Chaim. And how do you know he had Chaim? Because I've got, he said to Esau, he said to Esau, look, there's no point in you going to battle against me. I have chen. I have chen because I have Torah. And my tefillot will surely be answered, and even though I'm being polite, and I've divided up the family into two parts, and it looks as though I'm trying to make preparations. But uh, listen, Asa, you don't have a chance. Kichanani Elohim, Valkein, Beirach, Hashvatim, Bechein. And that's what Yaakov Avinu says in the next Pesach. Hayeladim, that's the Pesach that we learned. Asher Chanan Bechulek. Right? Hayeladim, in other words, so Yaakov Avinu said, it's not just me. It's my children. It's the future. They're going to be able to daven. And they're davening. Well, I just retro the Rav Nachman of Ratzlaff, right? They're going to be able to daven. And when they daven, it's not going to be like anybody else davening. That davening is going to be accepted. And then he says, Ubin Yamin lo hayafaz. Ubin was not there. Who said that? Rashi said that. I mean, it's true, but Rashi said it. But Binyamin Loya Oz, Valkein Bercho Yosef Bechein, Kemoshikatub Elokin Yechoncha Bini. Now listen to what Reb Nachman says. You know, Reb Nachman says, Chain was not an ordinary bracha. But it was the bracha which, which distinguished the children of Yaakov from all the other people in the world. And therefore all the children had to get the bracha. So since Binyamin was left out, Yosef came and he made up for the bracha of Chayn. What's the bracha of Chayn? The bracha of Chayn is going to enable Am Yisrael to continue to exist 
after the Chorban Beit HaMikdash. Betavchi Yosef. So how come Yosef is giving the bracha? Ayachol Avarachol Bechein Ki Yosef Ayachalul Biyotem Ekshinat Yaakov Moshe Gatuv Eile Toldot Yaakov Yosef You remember? Eile Toldot Yaakov Yosef That's what it says in the Apostle That Yosef and Yaakov are the same And Rashi says Show Yosef that he looked alike That they sounded alike They were much, very much alike What did I say? I said Yosef became a father. If Yosef's children became the children of Yaakov, so Yosef became, became the father. What is it? What is Rabbi Nachman about to Of course he became like the father. He already was like Yaakov. He was Yaakov's twin. He was Yaakov's twin. Because Yosef was the essence of the, the generations. Because we know that's what the the Zohar says that Yaakov and Yosef are like one. They're mere images of each other. They're the same. They're the same. So that when Yaakov took Yosef out of the tribes of Israel and substituted for Yosef the tribe of Menashe, according to Rabbi Nachman he wasn't doing anything. It was already done. It already had, because Yosef was Yaakov. If Yosef was Yaakov, then it says in the Apostle, that Ephraim and Asha are the children of Yaakov. Wasn't that Yaakov adopted them? Wasn't that he went and he said, gee, you know, I've got all these kids, here. take another few kids. But they had a good father, they came to a good home. Right, Yosef, he had, like, you know, inside plumbing, and he had, like, you know, heating and servants and all that. What, what did he adopt them for? He said, he said, no, they are my sons. He didn't say, I'm going to invent adoption for the Jewish people. He said, in fact, he said, they are like all my sons. What does Rabbi Nachman say? But you look carefully, you'll see. Yosef equals Yaakov in many different, like many different places. They are the same. And then he explains this possible because of Hadov. So I would like to say, I'd like to say a few things. First, you know that the Beit HaMikdash was built in the territory or the land that was Binyamin's. If you look at, if you remember the map of Eretz Yisrael, Right in the south, the southern part of Eretz we all should know that now, is Yehuda. Right? It's populated by Yehuda. At the very south of Yehuda, what tribe stuck there? Shimon. Very good. Shimon. Like a little, usually in the maps, like Yehuda is very big. Shimon is little. But on the top of Yehuda, there's like a tiny little blurb there. And what's that tiny little blurb? Binyamin. I guess it means that Binyamin, you know, there weren't a lot of people, they didn't have a big uh, group, they weren't uh, great fighters, but there's one thing that they had, and that was the Mokom HaMizbeach, was in the land of Binyamin. Binyamin was sort of the author of the Mizbeach. 
The second thing I want to tell you is that the word Yochdecha, right? In the passage that we started out with, Yud, Chet, Nun, Kav, right? Is numerically the same as Chanak. Is the same as Chanak. Now the truth is that for those of you who are annoying, and I'm actually going to count this up, you'll find that there's a discrepancy of one. And it was between Yochnecha and Chanukah, there's a, a discrepancy of one. They're not exactly the same. But, those of you who, are, who go through this Gematria stuff, know that the Golan said, the Vilna Golan said, that if the Inyan, if the two words are really expressing a reasonable kind of connection, that in gematrias, a difference of one doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's, so in other words, let's go back again. Elokim yechancha binit. Alright, let's look again. The first question. Elokim yechancha binit. Right? Different than what Yaakov said about his children. Yaakov said, they have chen. Why do they have chen? Because I have chen. How do I have chen? Because I'm teferet, I learned the Torah, so I know I can deal, I can deal in the world with my relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's called chen. My children are my children. Yosef, when he gave that bracha to Binyamin, he didn't say you'll have chen, or you have chen, or chen is with you. He said, Elokim yichancha bini. And why did he change from chen to yichancha? Because he wanted us to think about Hanukkah. Now what's Hanukkah? What's Hanukkah? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm going to finish. And you say, what's Hanukkah? It reminds me of something in the Gemara, right? <laughs> what's Hanukkah? So that could be the end of like talking for the whole night. The beginning of talking for the whole night. What's Hanukkah? Hanukkah. Hanukkah represents... Yeah, everybody knows that Hanukkah doesn't make any sense. Hanukkah doesn't make any sense. If God split the sea at the time of Yitzhak, so that was a big miracle, right? That was a pretty big miracle. So, we would not feel it would be reasonable that we should make a holiday for sea splitting. And that every time that holiday came around, we'd have to go to a reservoir somehow and push the waters apart and dance around in the, in the dry land. I mean, I mean, what's the point? How can you compare? How can you compare eight days of oil burning to splitting the Red Sea? I mean, like what's the big deal if God created the world and God split the sea and God made the Makot in its shop, so he can't make the oil burn for eight days? I mean, like, so this you can make a big chef, you can make a big deal out of, out of God making the candles burn for eight days? So, you know, so people try to explain it, but the, but the fact that, uh, that people try to explain it itself is an indication 
of the difficulty in understanding you. The Rambam always says, the Rambam says of Chumash that miracles don't prove anything because everybody knows that God can do the miracle. So it doesn't really change anything. And besides, this miracle of the oil, what did it have to do with anything? What did it have to do with the, what did it have to do with the battle? What did it have to do with the victory? What did it have to do with what was going on on, okay, they got oil. So it could have a different miracle. But a different miracle. What, what would have been a good miracle that they went into the room in which they kept the oil, and guess what? There's enough oil for a month. You know, all these cruises with the, with the Chaltevet, what would they be all this trouble for? If HaKadosh Baruch wants to make a miracle, there's a simple, effective miracle. Would save us all this trouble, you know, all these years. Today it's a little better, all these years about getting my hands dirty with the oil, trying to get the oil into that little thing. You know, today they come, it comes pre-prepared. Today everything is, uh, is pre-prepared. Right? You don't have to do anything. That's the so how you so this. Just don't do anything. Just that'll happen by itself. But that's still like, what do I, what, what's the point? Why couldn't there have been that miracle? Why couldn't they have gone in and found? What did they need this trouble for? After fighting the battle and cleaning up the Beit HaMikdash and acting like very particular special people, then they have to start worrying about where they're going to get oil from. Kodesh Mughal wasn't helped by these people. There's oil. Should be a lot of oil where they go to find it. What do they need this whole... What do they need this whole process for? So I say, Hanukkah. The Ramban says in the beginning of Baalotcha, the Ramban says in the beginning of Baalotcha that the, that Aaron Akoin fainted when he saw that the Nisim were bringing Korbanot, were bringing Korbanot of Hanukkah Tamizbeach. Because he said he didn't, he wasn't participating. It's true that he was participating in the Avoda, he was the Kohen. But he didn't bring the korbanot. And so HaKadosh Boaz, he says, I mean, uh, further explanation is necessary, but if you remember, Aaron HaKohen went to HaKadosh Boaz and said, Oy vey, how could this be? I'm Aaron HaKohen, I'm in the Beit HaMikdash, and all these guys are bringing korbanot, and I'm not bringing korbanot. So HaKadosh Boaz said, he fainted. HaKadosh Boaz, I guess, revived it. They brought in Hatzola, or something like that. They got Aaron HaKohen. They said to him, Shelcha, that's what it says in the Medrash. You will be more rewarded than they. So what the reward for they is, that's a discussion for a different time. But what way is Aaron Cohen going to be more rewarded than they? In what way? So the Medrash says, because when the Hashmonaim go into the Beit HaMikdash, their light, they, they see that there's no oil and they try to light the candle, as a result, there's going to be a mitzvah. And that mitzvah is going to be, that mitzvah is going to be lighting the candles of Hanukkah one week a year, forever and ever. What's the Gracie As they say. And then Aaron happy. What Aaron come and says, look, I'm in the Beit HaMikdash. I work in the Beit there every day. I want to bring one of these Korbanot. So what HaKadosh Baruch will say to him, no, don't worry about it. Your great, 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 great grandchildren will be terrific people and will all like Hanukkah menorahs. 
What's so important about lighting a Hanukkah menorah? I mean, I mean, what, what's the, what happened? What was it that Aaron Akoim was supposed to be happy about? So the simple shot is this: that after the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash, the Jews, Am Yisrael, had to convince themselves that their connection to the Beit Hamikdash was not torn asunder; that they were still part of that process. And the way they did that was by saying that the light in the Beit HaMikdash, the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash, or the light that emanates from the Beit HaMikdash, can emanate from every single Jewish home. And so the light of the Beit HaMikdash, the light was the reward of Aaron HaKohen, that the light will not be extinguished even when the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed. And so... Yosef said to Binyam, and you know, in the next week's parasha, the next week's parasha, when it all comes out that Yosef is Yosef and Binyamin is Binyamin, what happened? They fell on each other's neck and cried. Zavarat, plural. And what does Rashi teach us? They cried about the Choban Beit HaMikdash by Rishon and by Cheni, which was in the property of Binyamin. So what did Akhari, what did Yosef say to Binyamin? He said to him, Hanukkah. Hanukkah means that Am Yisrael will be able to continue. What will enable B'nai Yisrael to continue? What are the features that will enable Am Yisrael? What will be distilled out of the life that they were living before the Churban of Beit HaMikdash into after the Beit HaMikdash? What is the light of the Torah? Right, which we have in every home for a week of Hanukkah, which originated in the lights in the Beit HaMikdash, and that's what Aaron HaKohi got. And then there's Binyamin, the youngest son of Yaakov and Yosef, who got Hanukkah, that Torah, as Yaakov said to his to Esau, Torah enabled the Chayim, and the Chayim enables the Tefillah, and the Tefillah through the Chayim was kind of the redemptive moment for the Churban Beit Hamikdash, and according to the Chumash. Yosef and Binyamin were the only two people at that moment who knew that the Beit HaMikdash would be destroyed and they cried. But Yosef had already given him the bracha. But starting on Hanukkah, everybody will understand that tefillah has to be self-propelled and motivated through Torah and brought up to heaven in a way that filot have to be answered. There is no other possibility. Chag Mirib Sameach. All the best.